0: Hello, and welcome to My Summer in Alaska. I'm Emily Cherish. On this episode, I'm going to give you a look into what my Alaska Native Corporations class looks like. This class I found to be really interesting, particularly because I'm not from Alaska and was not aware of all the history and dynamics surrounding Native Alaskan corporations. So to kick things off, I sat down with the professor of the course at an on-campus cafe to give us some insight to the concepts we talk about in class.
1: My name is... My legal name is Betty Ross, but I usually go by Liz, because we have a lot of Bettys in my family. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite courses that I developed, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, is Alaska Management, which is the course that you are registered in. A lot has happened and transpired uh, through the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. We cover the topic, the background of it, some of the things that led up to the Legislative Act and the overall management and the formation of the Alaska Native corporations. The the lower 48, you have reservations and sovereign tribes. However, in Alaska, when President Nixon signed the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act in, uh, we were put into different regions or corporations, more of a westernized model. Mm. So um, we hold shares in our corporation. We were given land and also uh, some money as compensation. There are 12 regions in the state of Alaska. So there are 12 regional corporations. There are numerous village corporations as well. Um, The 12 regions were formed and then a 13th region was added. Um, I am a descendant of the native village of Unalakleet and which is in the Bering Straits region and I also hold shares in the Bering Strait Native Corporation. My grandfather was the last traditional chief Joe Nishalik from the native village of Unalakleet. It is primarily a subsistence village meaning that they live off the land. There's not a McDonald's that you just pull into and get a hamburger. (laughs) Um, Primarily the main staple is caribou, moose, fish. The traditional ways of living off the land is, uh, I would say, very sacred to the Alaska Natives. That's why the land is a very important aspect of our culture and our tradition. Although I didn't grow up primarily in the village because my dad was in the military, Uh, I've traveled all over the place, but we always came back to Alaska to visit, meet with family and visit with family. And so I learned a lot through them and a lot of the language skills though my mother has lost and um, a lot of my language skills that I've picked up in Inupiaq I've learned from my relatives. How do you feel teaching this course to be able to educate people on this? Well I think it's very important to educate students in the state of Alaska or those students that come from the outside. Uh, The reason why is because the Alaska Native corporations, the 12 corporations, have subsidiaries and they're throughout the world. And so it's important if there is someone that is in the lower 48 and they want to work for a subsidiary of one of the 12 regional corporations, it's important for them to understand the overall background of how the corporation formed. Now, the corporations came out of the legislative act of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. However, you can't sell the stock. You can't buy the stock. You can transfer it, but the voting rights, depending on the uh, quantum blood, will determine it. Each corporation is a little bit different on how they handle that. What are some of the takeaways that a student could get from this class? Well, first of all, you'll get an in-depth um, view of the act itself and some of the amendments and some of the key players that were instrumental in bringing forth this Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. I know Willie Hensley is one of them. A- and I think it's important that individuals in Alaska understand it. The sustainability of the corporation for the future generations is important. So. Uh, learning the Western model was probably a little more difficult at first. That's why there were some bumps in the road. Mm. Mindset on land and how
0: that's different from a Western oh, style. Gosh,
1: well, we value our land here in Alaska. It's one of the things, uh, like I said earlier, is very near and dear to us. You don't want to strip it completely and then walk away. So you have to be uh, protective of the land because it's gonna, it has to sustain us for many years to come. Change is always prevalent with the environment changing, with technology changing, with um, people changing. Things will change. You have a lot of the younger generation that is so linked to their social media and there are good and bad things about it, but the thing I think that pulls at my heart a little bit is that some of them aren't learning some of the traditional ways that got them here in the first place. yeah. And I think that's one thing that I think is um, quite a bit different is technology has changed the whole face of the uh, Alaska Native.
0: I asked my professor if she had any recommendations for students who could speak to kind of what we were talking about in class. Without hesitation, she recommended my next guest.
2: My name is Jillian Bjornstad, and we are at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Currently, I'm working with Rural Student Services and the Rural Alaska Honors Institute program. Going through college, I was a part of Rural Student Services, and I also participated in the Rural Alaska Honors Institute, or RAHI, in 2015. I grew up in Sandpoint, Alaska, which is along the Aleutian chain in the Shumagan Islands. Basically a small fishing community where a lot of people do subsistence fishing and commercial fishing, and it's a two and a half hour flight from Anchorage, Alaska, and even further from here, but pretty small, about 900 people or so. Everybody's pretty close. You know everybody for the most part. Um, My graduating high school class was
0: three, Three kids, yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) What if you don't like one of them? Is it over? It wouldn't be a good time, I guess. (laughs) I'd I'd be interested to hear about what you guys do in this office, too. So
2: basically, it was created a long time ago to help rural students adapt to urban living, which, coming from New York, you probably wouldn't consider Fairbanks really urban, (laughs) but small towns and kids coming and not really used to the whole dynamic of college, so... They do clubs and native dancing and crafts and um, food nights, too. Like, mm,
0: that's awesome. It's wholesome. <laughs> it, that sounds so wholesome, honestly. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the problems people face, and what are some of the solutions the office offers? A lot
2: of students actually get homesick and miss their culture, and they kind of just provide this hub where you could meet with other people from similar backgrounds.
0: Mm. Did you experience that, like, when you were in the transition period from your hometown to where you are now?
2: I think so a little bit. One of the big things I miss is the ocean. Coming here, I think I was around rural student services a little bit more my first year and finding that groove, I guess. And then once I found a community in my own department, there were times when... In a student organization that I was the president of, we'd create business plans that would help benefit rural or native communities, basically. And we'd always try to incorporate something personal from someone in the group anyway. And, like, my freshman year, we did a driver's ed business that would help students coming from the village who didn't have, like, an actual driver's license to drive in the city. Mm
0: that's iconic wow
2: and uh the advisor for that student organization at the time helped us learn how to drive and stuff and (laughs) made sure we got our licenses it was it was good (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) another thing i think i did a report on once was like health security in rural areas especially our area because when you come from the Aleutian Islands and you have a medical emergency like a plane has to fly out and they have to get you and then you have to fly back and it's like not very secure in mm. a health way like dangerous basically. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to be clear where you grew up there there's no access to roadways.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's an island out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little difficult to help people understand where you're coming from and Things like that, I remember, for example, when I was in Rahai, there was an Alaska Native dance class, but it wasn't exactly from my region, so I was the only person there from the same region, and I volunteered to show them one dance from my community. So it's kind of just sharing where you can and kind of explaining your experiences in a different way.
0: Thanks to Jill. I wanted to talk to someone who could give me the inner workings of a corporation and how the history we've been learning about in class has contributed to their corporation's formation. So I reached out to KONIAG, a native corporation that represents the Aleutic people. Here's some info about what they do from their website. KONIAG is one of the 12 regional Alaska native corporations established by the Congress in 1971 under the terms of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, or ANCSA. We're going to talk more about ANXA with our next guest, so hold on for that. Koniag was incorporated on June 23, 1972, to manage these assets on behalf of approximately 3,400 Aleutic shareholders. They are committed to creating opportunities and sustainable growth to fund benefits for their shareholders and their families. Shareholder benefits include dividends, educational and youth scholarships elder distribution, among others. Koniag promotes and shares their lutic culture and advocates for the people and communities of the Kodiak Island region. So without further ado, here is the president of Koniag.
3: Hello, my name is Shana Higna. My family is from the villages of Afognak and Port Lions and Currently I serve as the president of Koniag, which is the Alaska Native Regional Corporation that represents the 4,300 Alaska Native shareholders who call Kodiak Island home. I grew up in Port Lyons, which is a small village of about 200 people on Kodiak Island. So it's only accessible by boat and plane, Uh, there are no roads that connect to my village, Um, so if you haven't Grown up in a small, remote, rural community with 200 people. Uh, To put it in perspective, there were five people in my high school graduating class. So me, my identical twin sister, my third cousin, my first cousin, and my boyfriend at the time, who I swear I wasn't related to. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, very small, very remote community. I graduated from Port Lions High School, as I mentioned. After high school graduation, I went on to college, and I am a product of the University of Alaska system, so UAF has a special place in my heart as an alumni. Something you said, a term,
0: shareholder. For people that don't know what that means, what can you explain a, a little bit of the implications of that?
3: 1960s in America, civil rights movements going on. There's lots of tribal reservations in the lower 48 that, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but at the time the public perception was that tribal reservations were not as successful as they could be. That happens to also align when when oil was discovered on Alaska's North Slope. So what does that mean? That means Alaska's a brand new state. We just got statehood a few years before that. And the state and the federal government is trying to figure out what do we do with Alaska, right? It was called Sewer's Folly, right? Because it was, people were thinking that we were too dependent, that we were a failure. And so elected officials to figure out what do we do with Alaska and how do we make it independent? And then all of a sudden there's oil discovered on the the most Northern uh, borders of Alaska. And this feeding frenzy ensues as the federal, the state governments, private oil companies, private citizens are all trying to vie for a, a piece of Alaska's oil rich land. And at that time, Alaska Natives look around and we think, we're going to lose everything right? Many of our communities did not have running water. Many did not have electricity. Most did not have phone systems, right? The Mm. only way you could communicate in our villages at that time was by CB radio. That was the context of which the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act was passed. And so at that time, uh, people literally passed the hat similar to what you do at church to raise enough, you know, one and uh, $5 donations to fly Alaska Native leaders to Washington, D.C. to negotiate a land settlement with Congress. Alaska Natives really wanted to know that we had fee simple title to our land, that we owned our land outright, and we also did not want to recreate the tribal reservation system in Alaska. Congress didn't want to recreate it because, remember, in the 1960s, there was this perception that it was not as successful as it should be. As they were negotiating that settlement, Congress worked with Alaska Natives to create Alaska Native for-profit companies that are owned by Alaska Native shareholders, So every Alaska Native person that was alive on the date that the act was passed in 1971 could apply to receive 100 shares in a regional corporation and 100 shares in a village corporation, and so that's how we have shareholders. But what's interesting is our shareholders are not living in high-rise apartments; Uh, they're not on Park Avenue, uh, buying and selling their stock on the stock market. In fact, you can't buy or sell our shares. Our shareholders are married to us for life. The only way that you can receive shares in a native corporation is if you are Alaska native and one of your family members gift them to you or if you inherit them when one of your Alaska native relatives pass away.
0: So can you tell me a bit about your organization? What do you guys do and uh, what is what is the mission going on there?
3: Yeah so uh, Konyag was one of 13 regional corporations that were founded under the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Uh, So for generations, Alaska Native people uh, fought for our right to own our own land uh, for access to subsistence uh, resources, economic development opportunities, uh, and those types of things. So in 1971, uh, through uh, a legendary congressional act, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act corporations, native corporations were established. So Kodiak is one of 13 regional corporations and there are more than 200 village corporations. And so we own the land, uh, the traditional uh, land on Kodiak Island that our people have lived off of for 7,500 years on behalf of our Alaska native shareholders. So our mission is to uh, operate for profit companies to make a profit so that we can provide dividends um, and other really important benefits to our Alaska Native shareholders like uh, elder benefits, uh, funeral assistance programs, college scholarships, scholarships for children, those types of things. So I'll tell you some stories about some of the folks that we've uh, worked with in just the last year. So no one can have a conversation in 2021 and 2020 without talking about COVID-19. In Alaska, uh, one of the biggest struggles that we had was access to food security. So when you think about Alaska, so many of our communities are not connected by road. um, And so the only way that you can get groceries, for instance, in a village like Port Lyons, where there is no grocery store is to actually travel by boat or plane to the nearest hub community which is Kodiak City Uh, so for my parents who still live in our village that means that they had to charter an airplane which is a little small prop airplane uh, and fly 15 minutes to Kodiak City to get their groceries Well, of course, at the height of the pandemic, there was no way for you to get access to groceries in those instances because you can't socially distance on an airplane, right? That's why none of us flew in 2020, right? Yeah. Um, And so one of the things that Cognac did was work with our villages uh, to fund expansions to the community gardens. So people like my parents who are elders could have access to fresh fruits and vegetables during the pandemic. Another example is there was a girl from my village who was 11 years old, she had to communicate by Zoom with her teachers. And when you're in a remote community where broadband is already uh, slow and very expensive, the rates became astronomical when she had to Zoom with her teachers all day. And her parents' Wi-Fi bill went up to $900 in a month a month for one one Wi-Fi bill. And so, CONIAC has a youth scholarship program where we provide funding to children ages three years through 12th grade to do any type of training camp or event that's going to help them to be successful. Uh, So in those instances, she applied for and received a scholarship to help pay her broadband bill so that she could have access to the same level of education as every American student has a right to access. So during the pandemic in particular, those are of the benefits that we offer to our Alaska Native shareholders. Every day, no matter if it's a pandemic or not, we fund college scholarships. We have students that are working on everything from, you know, how to become a mechanic all the way to PhD programs abroad. Uh, And we provide college scholarships so that they can pursue those dreams. What does that mean for you to see these types of things take place? That's why I get up every day. You know, I I feel like I have to pinch myself every day. You know, you should have a, when you graduate from college, you should have a job that you love. I get to implement programs and services that change the uh, people's lives for the better. And I think that it doesn't get any better than that.
0: Thanks so much to Shauna, and thanks so much for listening to this series of My Summer in Alaska. This podcast is presented by the University of Alaska, Fairbanks. A special thanks to producer Marmion Grimes and Samara Tabor. Thank you to everyone at UAF. For more information on the classes that I took, you can check out uaf.edu.